1: Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace and success. I'm Ashley milne This week, I am traveling and the show I'm working on isn't quite ready to go out. So I'm re-releasing an episode that I first put out just after the presidential election of 2016. And it focuses on working women in the Scandinavian countries. And I think many of us look at these countries and think they're a bit of a utopia for working women. But are they? Here's the show. This time, America may not have elected a female head of state, but most Scandinavian countries have, and these countries have excellent reputations for gender equality.
2: This is something that's talked about in the government, and then it's talked about down to sort of the preschool or the school level, and then amongst parents.
1: But despite that, the number of women in senior roles isn't that different from the U.S.
2: Actually, more
3: women do have good education. But still, we, we see the problem that it's men who are getting the highest salaries.
1: Coming up, we take a look at life for working women in the Nordic countries. I live in the workaholic US. Hours are long, parental leave is often non-existent, and good, affordable childcare can be hard to find. And during the years I've been doing the show, I've often thought enviously about women in Scandinavia. They seem to have it so good. There's the state-funded childcare, the shorter working week, what seems like a huge number of men who take an active part at home. It sounds great, these countries usually top lists of best places to be a working woman. But here's the paradox. Despite this wonderful approach to work-life balance, few women in Scandinavia are in positions of power, especially in the private sector. You could say that doesn't matter. After all, these societies are so much more equal than many others. Working-class women are far better off in the Nordic countries than they are in America. Still, I wanted to probe a bit more. So, I got in touch with three professional women in Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. Bronwyn Griffith is a curator at a contemporary art museum in Stockholm. It's called Magazine Three. She's American by birth, but she's lived abroad for years. First, she was in France. For the last 11 years, she's been in Sweden. Her husband's Swedish, and they have two kids a 13 year old boy and a 10 year old girl. Her husband's a musician. She says they live in one of those former working-class neighbourhoods that's now full of artists and writers. We began our conversation on Skype. She can't imagine working and trying to bring up kids in the US after living in Sweden.
2: Child care is uh, heavily subsidised, for example. healthcare is heavily subsidised. So some of these expenses that I know really stress out uh, friends of mine in the United States aren't there. A lot of women working full-time.
1: Including her – And this is largely because they need to. Sweden and its neighbours have generous welfare states, but they are funded by high taxes. Governments want as many people as possible to work and pay into the system. Most families need two incomes to keep up their households. Bronwyn says equality is in the air here there's a real attempt to erase gender bias. She says her kids' school holds meetings where the parents will discuss attitudes to gender in the classroom. They talk about how the school can prevent boys and girls getting siphoned off into different groups with different activities. Sweden has introduced a new gender-free pronoun so people can avoid using he or she. So that's what's going on in public. But when it comes to men and women, old attitudes and expectations linger in private.
2: At home, like in a household, it's quite common that both people in the the couple cook, um, both of them are doing the laundry. Those sorts of things are quite evenly divided amongst the friends that I have anyhow. But there are certain things that still default to the mothers consistently. Buying birthday presents, booking doctor's appointments, setting up play dates is often still on the mother. And, and those all take time and organization and energy away from, you know, other things outside of the, it's outside of the workplace, but it still relates because it it's what you're doing in the evenings when you come home after a long day's work or on the weekend.
1: Now, is this when you say mothers, are you, are you including yourself in this? Are you saying that you do, you do the doctor's appointments and...
2: yeah. <laughs> We're working on it, you know, it's I mean, it's a it's an ongoing discussion. And, you know, and it's, you know, clothes that the children have outgrown and giving away the the uh, clothes that they've outgrown those those sorts of tasks. You know, sometimes it's just not on my husband's radar. And he's wonderful about uh, sharing all sorts of other tasks. But it's an ongoing conversation. I feel like I've had a, a minor victory today. He sent out the birthday invitation to our daughter's birthday party. So he's going to be, you know, he had to look for all the email addresses and he'll be sorting through all of the the RSVPs. And that for me was like a, a small liberation.
1: Still, she admits some of who does what. That comes down to her being able to let her husband take it on, to delegate, to give up control. She's working on that as well. She says her husband sometimes tells her he wishes he could slow her brain down. He says she can't relax she's always planning the next thing they have to do or making some kind of list
2: and you know that it's important also to just be able to wind down and have those empty moments and not uh, feel like you have to constantly fill it that's that's something that you see here is that there's something that's being called they call it literally in swedish "go in the to go to hit the wall when people are getting burned out and it's actually like a medical diagnosis here that you'll see, and it's mostly women that I know that have gotten this diagnosis, where they're so stressed that they that the doctor thinks they're showing um, medical signs of being too stressed, and so then they get put on sick leave in order to have time to rest up and recoup. But most doctors think it's because uh, women are going on all fronts; they're they're working really hard and full time, and then they're trying to be the mother and they're trying to have the perfect home there's a lot of pressure here to have very tidy very stylish uh, stylishly decorated homes and all of that takes energy and so that's yeah there's also something at a phrase here that's called to be a duktig flicka to be a good girl and that means that you're all you're a perfectionist you're trying you're very hardest to to be the best at everything that you are involved in
1: What Bronwyn says about homes is worth dwelling on for a minute, because women in the Nordic countries don't outsource housework the way a lot of people do in America or Britain. Professional couples in those countries often have a cleaner or a nanny or both. But in Scandinavia, with its high taxes, help with the house is seen as one expense too many. Research on the Nordic countries shows women still take on the vast majority of housework, and that leaves less time for a career. Bronwyn recently took a stand on a domestic matter, preparation for the school bake sale. An email goes out to all the parents saying, let's do this. Who's in? When that
2: email thread starts, it's almost always a mother who takes the initiative. And then it is a conversation usually between the mothers. And recently, it, when, when this happened, I got really irritated about it because I noticed that all of the fathers were also on the thread and none of the fathers were responding all the mothers were saying, oh, I can, you know, I can get change, or oh, I can bake this, and I can stand between two and four. And none of the fathers were bothering to respond at all. And so at home with my husband, we got in sort of a heated conversation about it. I was saying, you're also on this thread, and you haven't answered. You know, it just doesn't seem fair that, that we have this. If I don't answer, then I am some, uh, somehow feel like a neglectant mother, but men, it doesn't, even, it's, it doesn't even seem like you feel like you need to deign it with a response that you know, your partner's taking care of it. And that's it. You're going to bake, and you're going to respond, and, and we'll see what happens. I bet some fathers will respond. And so he, he did. He wrote and said, oh, you know, I'd be happy to contribute, and, and I, I can bake. Um, and within two minutes, two other fathers answered. Um, wow, and that's that, telling. Well, and it is. I mean, there's so often we talk about you need to talk about girls about standing up for themselves, but you r- do really need to also talk to the boys. And it's so much what you model at home. I think the the kids also really pick up on the fact that you know if dads making dinner a lot, then dads also make dinner. Or if you know if the dad is picking them up from school or whatever, then that becomes the norm. Not because of the lip service that we're equal, but because they see they see us living according to those principles.
1: My next guest would agree. She lives outside Oslo, the Norwegian capital.
2: My name is uh,
3: Katrina Yarum. My last name is a bit challenging for Americans, I, I guess. That is true. Yarum, yeah, you can say.
1: Katrina is a videographer. She started her own business several years ago.
3: I do everything from uh, shooting to, uh, or planning, shooting and publishing. And then also I do the marketing for people afterwards.
1: And it wasn't easy starting a business. Entrepreneurship isn't common among Norwegian women. She didn't qualify for any subsidies to get her started. And Katrina's female friends were quite negative about her choice.
3: I didn't get very much support, I must must say. I didn't, uh, because... We have here in Norway also called a kind of a law that's called the the, Jomte law. You shall not think that you are something.
1: In other words, you shall not think you're anything special. You mustn't show off, which is a bit tricky if you're going into business for yourself. And of course, the total opposite of the American attitude to entrepreneurship.
3: We're taught up to be kind of humble and uh, not, yeah, don't put yourself uh, at first but i think it's stepping forward here at least amongst uh, entrepreneurs in norway it is and they are they are looking at american uh, online courses i know that they're doing that i'm doing that myself and uh, i think it's uh, stepping out of your comfort zone that really does get you forward
1: she did that in a big way when she set out to create her business in 2012 Her career had been up and down before that. She and her husband have twin girls. They're 14 now. And when she had them, she took advantage of the maximum parental leave on offer for two kids. She was working in the public sector when she became a parent. It was mainly an administrative role with some IT support thrown in.
3: I am actually glad that I got the chance to stay at home with my children for such a long time. So I had them at home until they were three years old and then uh, i still i still kept my my job i mean i still kept uh, the position at uh, that job in the public section then and uh, but i couldn't choose uh, when i came back after 3 years i couldn't choose actually what i wanted to work with i couldn't choose my tasks so um they put me to work on the um, the switchboard at that time
1: It wasn't ideal. She had a degree in a computer related field. Still, she was struggling just to get herself and the twins into Oslo each day, find parking, put them into daycare and then do the whole thing in reverse. Ultimately, she quit to pursue another degree in digital media. She landed another part-time job during that time. Quite a few women in Norway work part-time. Norway has this great participation rate. Women's participation in the workforce is all about 75% 75% of women, I think, are in the workforce, which, again, is much greater than in some other Western countries. I mean, how does that, how does it feel? Are you proud of that? Are you, are there any compromises that come with that, with, with, with having such a, a lot of women in the workforce? I mean, are these jobs, are they satisfying jobs? Were you satisfied?
3: Yes and no. Um, I think it's uh, it's great to have uh, such a large um, amount of women in work but of course it's kind of a paradox because you mentioned part-time work and uh, it's like for me that wasn't uh, in in the long run it wouldn't have been satisfying but of course it will give more flexibility the other thing is that uh, what kind of work uh, do we find the the women it's uh, mostly in very women-oriented work like teachers and nurses. And uh, I think that sh- should be balanced even better.
1: This is common across the Scandinavian countries. Men work in typically male jobs, women in typically female ones. There's less gender balance in professions than in many other countries. Women flock to the public sector with its generous benefits, but lower pay.
3: And also, it's it's hard to get the top jobs we can see that many, actually more women do have good education, but still we we see the problem that it's men who are getting the, the highest salaries. And that is uh, kind of the struggle that we do have here. But how do you find the balance? You, I mean, you want to spend time with your kids. What we are fighting a lot about here now is... Uh, that the fathers also should stay at home more with the kids.
1: Fathers do have a quota of 10 weeks parental leave. If they don't take it, it's subtracted from the overall leave the couple can share. But what happens most often is they take the 10 weeks and go back to work. The mother takes many months more. Still, Katrina appreciates her country's investment in early childcare and its parental leave policies a lot. She says, yes, it all helps keep women in work. And it keeps the fertility rate from plunging like it has in countries like Italy. But there's more than that.
3: Actually, it has led to that uh, the number of uh, divorce has uh, gone uh, a little bit down in Norway. Because if you take care of your families, I think if you take care of your family, it is better for uh, all the parts. I think it's better for both men and women. And um, keeping families together, it should also be uh, something that must be uh, interesting for the countries because then it's uh, better stability.
1: Norway's childcare system seems to have long-term benefits as well. I was at a panel on universal childcare last week. We heard from an economist with Norway's official statistics body – She said kids who have been through the Norwegian state-funded system pursue more education and earn more later in life. Bronwyn Griffith has only good things to say about Sweden's childcare system. She said it's fantastic care and it's affordable. You're charged based on your income, and if you use your state child benefit as well, you can pay as little as $40 a month for daycare. That includes food and diapers. As for parental leave, she did take most of it because she wanted to. A full year. Her husband took two and a half months.
2: I know in some couples, there were some couples that have had long conversations about who gets to have more time at home with the child because both of the parents really want to do it. And I have a number of colleagues, male colleagues, who took six months off to be at home with their child. And they were very determined about that. There was absolutely no discussion of that. They were not going to have those six months off. And I think that it, it allows the father to have a really nice relationship with their child.
1: But some outsiders don't recognize that relationship when they see it. Bronwyn has a friend who works at another museum in Stockholm. And a group of Italian curators was in town. And she was showing them around to exhibitions. One of the Italian curators leaned
2: over to her and said... What is it with all of these gay nannies? Because there were all of these men walking around with prams, and they thought that instead that they, they thought that these were gay nannies instead of the fathers of the children that were on parental leave. It was really funny. <laughs>
1: My next guest lives in Copenhagen. Lynn Rosebury qualified as a lawyer in the US. She met her Danish husband at Harvard Law School. 22 years ago, she followed him to Denmark and she's been there ever since. She's just wrapping up a long time job as a professor at Copenhagen Business School. She's about to go into business for herself as a diversity consultant. One of the things I think is so interesting about the Scandinavian countries and I did want to ask you about is that I know that that actually the number of women in top jobs in these kinds of professions like law and finance aren't any higher in Denmark and Sweden and Norway than they are in the States. And I I wonder why you think that is.
4: That is so ironic. (laughs)
1: Um,
4: Well, I think there are lots of reasons. And I think sort of the very general reason is that in Denmark, it seems to me that the conversation about gender and careers stopped in the 70s. And there's an assumption that we're all equal now, and everyone has the same opportunities, and if women aren't progressing up into the higher, upper reaches of the hierarchy, that's because of their own choice. Um, So of course you have some of that in the States too, but it's my impression that there's still quite a bit of conversation around it and that there are women who find ways of progressing. And it's also seems to be, especially in well-paying positions, which is what all of these are, it's quite acceptable to hire full-time nannies and and live-at-home nannies. And that's not quite acceptable here.
1: It's certainly more expensive to hire a nanny in Denmark, but the other thing is the social piece.
4: And basically it's just that there's some women who look down their noses at women who don't pick up their kids early from daycare, and don't bake and don't, you know, do all the kinds of things you're supposed to do to show that you're involved with your kids. And this is a standard that applies
1: to women a standard many women strive to meet and she says there's another thing corporate Denmark has blinders on
4: companies here
1: are have been
4: very slow to take up any kind of diversity management thinking or practices they don't they hardly even want to talk about it really yeah yeah you you raise hackles when you start talking about it. so you can ask me why am i doing this business with diversity and inclusion consulting yeah. um but i mean that's there are a few the companies that are actually active and doing something with diversity and inclusion are the big multinationals that have headquarters in the states
1: Which is so interesting to me that American women look at Denmark and its neighbours as beacons of equality, but Danish companies are actually lagging American ones on trying to pull more women up. Given that so much of uh, the discussion here in the US does revolve around the lack of affordable childcare, the fact that the system in the United States simply is not geared around... uh, uh, people having families. You know, all this politicians give lots yeah. of lip service to family being the most important thing, but America um, is all about work, work, work. Now, Britain is better, but I still hear a lot of complaints and concerns about the cost of childcare in Britain. And it's still much more of a, a, a workaholic culture than many of its neighboring countries. Given that you, Denmark, has taken care of this huge slice, which is the the childcare part what are some of the things you think are hampering the advance of women into these um higher roles
4: i think it's our socialization the um anxiety that gets provoked when you deviate even just a little bit from gender roles and and gendered behavior it, it it triggers anxiety and it also triggers criticism. You know, you you tend to choose the path of least least resistance. You have to be very goal oriented and really committed to put up with that and and not and just not care about it.
1: Is it worth saying because it's something that I've noted a little bit on on my visits to Denmark and talking to a good friend of mine in Denmark. It is quite a conformist society, isn't it?
4: Yes it is. And I think um I've lived in a small town in the United States, and I like to compare Denmark to that, because Denmark is a very small country, and people don't move around very much. So in the little town I came from, people didn't move around very much either. I mean, there were people who were born and raised there and couldn't dream of leaving. Um, And it's sort of the same thing here. And there were very definite sort of expectations of how you behave and if you don't you feel it. You you get you feel there is some kind of social sanction and there's a tremendous pressure to conform. And that's how it is here.
1: Now of course there are some high profile women executives in Denmark, including the head of Microsoft Denmark. Presumably they don't bake all that much or make it to the school gates by 430. And for four years, the country had a female prime minister, Hella Torning-Schmidt. She formed a coalition government with two other parties.
4: They were all headed up by women.
1: And then the prime minister
4: chose several women to be ministers. And suddenly everyone was talking about how women were taking over and we don't have to worry about women in government anymore because, look, we have all these (laughs) women at the top. (laughs) And now it's just flipped.
1: She says the current government has far fewer women ministers. I wondered if the former prime minister championed women's progress. Did she ever speak about these kinds of things, or was she one of the women who just wanted to shut up about the whole thing and
4: well that was that was one of the big disappointments of that government because they went in. To government on one of their promises was that they were, going, they were going to introduce earmarked paternity leave so that right now it's not earmarked for men. Uh, moms and dads have to split it, but they can split it however they want to or they don't have to split it. So the women can take all of it if they want. And that's what most of them do. So they went into government with this promise and they completely dropped it. They completely dropped it. And she appointed the person she appointed to be the gender equality minister, he was so unknowledgeable about all of this. I heard him speak a number of times, and he was he was probably one of the least impressive ministers in the government. On the gender thing, completely without a clue. I mean there was, some, uh, there was some survey at some point about how women suffer more from stress than men and that women are having a really hard time, you know, taking care of kids, house, job, and all of that, and they're stressing out totally. And he came out and said in publicly, well, you know, it's just a question of prioritizing. Sometimes you just can't go to yoga. our gender equality minister (laughs) how did that go down under Hilla Torningschmidt and she had nothing to say about this she just let him say these things and you know the, the impression most of us who are interested in this got was that she didn't want to get too far into this because it wasn't a popular position and it's, uh, it's not regarded as important. It's not regarded as strategically important. And um, so that just got sacrificed for political reasons.
1: Pop culture isn't always that evolved either. A few years ago, Danish public television aired a show where men studied and critiqued a naked woman's body. The woman had to stand there silently while the guys offered comments. The show's creator said Danish society needed this. He thought that, we needed to, well, sort of like Justin Timberlake's song,
4: we had to get sexy back. And that for, for this guy, sexy means men admiring women's bodies and men being manly and men, this
1: was part of being masculine. It sparked plenty of outrage. But Lynn says the fact it made it to air tells you the whole equality thing. It's not quite as ingrained as you might think in Denmark.
4: So we're, you know, we're, we're a progressive backward country. <laughs> or a backward progressive
1: country. I don't know. Lynn Roseberry. She's the co-author of a book called Bridging the Gender Gap. Thanks to Lynn, Katrina Yarum and Bronwyn Griffith for being my guests on this show. If you're listening to this in one of the Nordic countries and you have something to add, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me via the show's website or on Twitter at Ashley Milne-Tight, without the hyphen. Or you can leave a comment under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. That's The Broad Experience for this time. Thanks to all those of you who have supported this one-woman show with one-off donations or monthly donations. If you'd like to join them, go to thebroadexperience.com and hit the support tab on the homepage. I'm Ashley milne See you next time.
0: How up?